There's another one you don't want to hear. Frankly, neither do I. Right now on the Power Chord Hour, I'm very excited for this one. We are talking with returning guest to the show, Greg Eklund. And uh, Greg, you might know, is former drummer of Everclear, a member of the band The Oolahs, also drummer of Storm Large. He's all over the place. And uh, Greg just released his very first solo record called Muffled Tears. I, uh, I love this thing. We were actually talking about it a little bit last time he was on, way before it came out. So uh, very excited to have him back on. And kind of do a follow-up to that last time and uh, talk about the new record and everything else that Greg is up to. So, Greg, man, how are you? I'm doing good, man. Thanks for having me back. Yeah, I've uh, I've been very excited. The uh, you know, So we're doing this here, what is it today? August 24th. And uh, the album came out like three weeks ago. So, uh, I mean, I got I to gotta ask you, you know, we did, we did kind of talk about this a little bit last time. And, uh, you know, at the time it was more, it seemed like you had, you had an album, but you weren't even sure if it was coming out or not. So, I mean, I gotta, I gotta ask you, like, now that it is out, how does this, how does this feel, man, having this finally out into the world? It feels really, it feels great. It's been a real fun journey to put it out and to promote it and, and all of that stuff, because it really, this, I started this record when I first moved to Omaha um back in 2000 well 2015 or 2016 i mean oh wow i started with the idea of well you know my wife had a had a job so she wasn't in the house my kids were in school they were gone so if i wasn't touring i had the house to myself so i thought well maybe i'll just start recording and um and it didn't take this long to write all the songs they've all been written and recorded you know a couple years ago but I kind of called in some heavy duty favors on friends and, um, uh, you know, who are involved in much bigger projects than mine. And so I was always, uh, you know, calling in super favors. So I was always way down on the list. So um, it took a little bit of time, but I'm happy with the results. So the whole process took, what is that, five years, four years? But really the actual recording of it and writing of it, because I write it as I record, was really only about, six months you know and that was in between loads of laundry and cooking dinner and stuff so uh, <laughs> that's really not bad i feel like in that sense it took like writing a normal record in terms of like writing and recording it then that 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 didn't take so long oh no no I, yeah that, that that was probably yeah that's that's a, a normal amount of time <laughs> <laughs> to, to do it but uh you know, I don't. I did it all myself. I recorded it all myself. I played all the instruments myself. Um, you know, it's it's. I don't. I put it out on my own record label, but I, I didn't have a record label. You know, that was giving me money and and said, uh, you know, booking studio time and all this. So because because I was doing it all myself, I could do it as slow or as fast as I wanted, and you know, things were done when they were done. But um, the actual process did not take the amount of time it took to release it 
So it, having said that, I feel great that it's out in the world now because now I can move on to something, <laughs> something <laughs> else and not have this sort of sitting on the back burner for so long. I mean, when when did you finally realize you're going to put it out? I mean, like, I feel like last time we talked, like I said, I, I kind of felt like you were hemming and hawing about it. Like, I mean, maybe you did know you were going to put it out, but you didn't know when. Like, when do you, when do you think it finally clicked and you're like, okay, this is finally coming out? Well, I was... I was really lucky to have a guy who would, who mixed the Ulaz record way back in 2005 or whatever. Um, and that was home recorded as well by me. So he made it sound amazing. So I wanted him to mix this record. And, you know, he's he's worked with the Foo Fighters and Nine Inch Nails and like, all, you know, a million people. And he does his own freelance stuff. And he's fantastic. His name's James Brown. I mean, it's. It's a crazy name, but that's his name, James Brown. <laughs> that's a great name to have. Yeah. Um, and so he, uh, you know, so it was sort of based on his on his time schedule. And um, I don't really, I knew it was going to come out, but I didn't really know that it was going to come out until he sort of called out of the blue one day and goes, yeah, I'm almost done. And I was like, whoa, okay. <laughs> then it was sort of a mad scramble to try to like, um, well, you know, the other thing is, is that it took a year just, to get the vinyl made you know because right i placed the order and then covid really really hit and um you know the 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 companies that press the vinyl that you know they were all shut down and then when they started back up they couldn't get the supplies you know because the supply chain of stuff and then once they were up and running they now had all the major labels that they press as well um you know, backlog. So again, I was pushed to the way with my little 300 unit <laughs> vinyl order. <laughs> it was pushed way to the back. So that almost took a year just to do the, just to get the vinyl made. And so I was Jeez. sitting on the record because I didn't want to, I know it was like a bunch of things happened all at once, but I didn't want to release the record digitally and just be like, Oh, the vinyl's coming soon. Um, I wanted it to all come out at the same time. So, um, so I just, and again, it wasn't like I had a record label that was like, we need to release it so you can be on tour in the fall or, you know, Christmas season's coming up. We got to, you know, there was none of that. So I just kind of sat on it until it was all ready to be done. And and that's that's why it came out. But I, I knew it was going to be coming out. Um, I think I was a little bit surprised at the people's reaction and how well it was received. Because to me, it's a really personal record. And... I had a hard time imagining that, that people would react to it in, a, in such a positive way. But whether they did or not, it was still, a, I think it's an artistic statement. And um, it had to be put out so that it could, uh, so the cholesterol of that record could dislodge from the veins and, and move on to other artistic endeavors. It, it really does sound like, I mean, a very personal record. And I kind of get like the feeling from it that you, yeah, like you would have probably recorded it either way. Like, e like even if you recorded it and never really put it out, I feel like, I don't know, like you said, it almost seems like it was a therapeutic thing for you to make this record overall. Yeah. I mean, yes, it has been that in hand with the passage of time and everything else, but I really didn't set out to make a therapeutic record and I didn't set out to make a story record or a concept record in any, because I always hate when people do those. They always just seem really self-absorbed and bloated, but 
um, because I, I think we probably talked about this last time, but I don't write songs and then go record them. I record at the same time I'm writing. Yeah, I do. I, I remember that. And one thing I very much remember from you is that you start with drums, don't you? Yeah. Which yeah, is very cool. I, yeah. I mean, I just lay down a beat or something and, and just start writing to that. So um, as these songs came into, you know, when they started to become songs and I, when they were maybe three quarters of the way done, I realized that if I put them in order, it sort of told a story of me leaving a successful band and after years of touring and trying to come home and adjust to home life and family life. And so um, I didn't set out to do that. that. That just happened. And so, but there was some freedom in that because if a song was only a minute long, that's what it was. Like I didn't, there were initially I was like, gosh, you know, it needs a chorus or it needs a bridge or that's not proper structure or, but I would go, well, wait a minute. This little minute of music gets me to the next part of the story. So it's fine to leave it on as it is. So there was a lot of freedom in that. And there's a lot, and, and I think we probably talked about this before. There's a lot of free, freedom in giving up. Um, once you're, once you're not trying to actively sell records or live off money, being a musician as, as musicians know, um, there's a lot of freedom suddenly to, to make artistic statements. And so I, I never had a, belief that this was going to sell a thousand copies or 50,000 copies or a hundred thousand copies. So, um, I made it the way I wanted to make it. And, um, I was really, really happy with the results. That's awesome. And I mean, and you would be someone too. I mean, I feel like you've, you've kind of went through all these different ways of like releasing an album where you have had that, where it's like albums where you have the pressure on you to release it in this X amount of time or, you know, major labels down your back and stuff. So, you know, I, I think when someone, someone who says that, like, oh, there's less pressure, I'm sure you would, uh, you would definitely know that. And with this record too, like, like with writing songs and again, like, I think, I think starting with drum beats and everything, like, I think that's really neat. I think it's neat that you record the ideas and stuff, but when you're writing, like, do you, are you consistently someone who's writing or are you, are you more someone who have that burst of creativity where for like maybe three or four months you're just writing like a bunch of songs and then you'll go like another four months and not write at all. Both and all, <laughs> all of what you just said. Um, I, I'm sure like most musicians, you know, having a home recording setup, um, it gives you the freedom to do it however you want. You know, I mean, I, I, a lot of times I go, I mean, I have, probably 20, 25 hard drives that are filled with ideas that never developed wow. beyond. And I still periodically go back and listen to them. So I could find something from 2003 that I wrote for the Ulaz that didn't make it further in the Ulaz process. And I'll just grab it and make something out of it now. Um, so I kind of, I can do both. I can become very, very focused on some stuff. But then I can also put things away for months or years or forget about it or whatever and dig it up and then go, whoa, wow, if I just cut this in half and distort it, that then it's something completely different. Or then I, the weird thing is I'll find stuff that I don't even remember doing that I'm like, wow, that's <laughs> really cool. Wow, you're, that's an amazing drum beat or something, you know, and I just have, you know, no rec I wrote that? Yeah, no, I mean, seriously, <laughs> like it surprises me sometimes when I'm just like, whoa, that's 
how come that didn't go any farther? Because that's, that's really cool. In the same way that, you know, I'm rehearsing up a band so we could do some shows in Minneapolis and, and um, I have amazing players in the band that are just phenomenal. And I'm, you know, they're like, what's that one part you play there? And I look at them and I go, I don't know. I just, <laughs> I just recorded it in the moment that it was recorded. And I don't know what that is. <laughs> you know, um, I'm like, let's figure it out together. <laughs> and, and the one thing that I do know is that because I, I, I played all the instruments, but I don't really know how to play all the instruments. So I do know that whatever's there is usually the most simplest thing that could be played. So I have to really... I can figure that out because if it's too complicated, I know that I couldn't have played it. So it's, <laughs> it's always got to be something and, and it may sound really cool and it may sound more advanced or it might be two parts over top of each other or some delay or distortion or something over it. But the actual part cannot be very much more than 10th grade <laughs> music band stuff. Like, you know, cause that's the, that's the level I'm operating at, but even operating at that level, uh, I I can do things that that sound good to me. So that's that's the goal. I, I mean, I do think it is impressive. I mean, it, I, you said it like a minute ago, but like on this record, I mean, you you do you play like you play everything. Like you wrote the songs, you played them, you're singing them. Like this is I I assume the first time you've ever recorded an album like this where you're playing everything. Uh, yo, definitely, definitely. I mean, with the Ulas, um. I played a lot of stuff on the Ula record and I, uh, and I, I played drums on the Ula record. I didn't want to, but, um, cause I was kind of done with drums at that point, but we just, it was too hard to find people. So I ended up playing on that, but you know, on the Ula's, um, I sing lead on a couple songs and Ollie and I would sing harmonies on songs and she would sing some songs and we would do a lot of the music and stuff ourselves. But in terms of doing everything, yeah, this was kind of the this is the first time I've I've ever done that and it's been a um I don't know, everything every every everything someone does is a learning process, but uh I think I got better at it as the project went on and then like I said I had my friend James Brown mix it who um makes me sound way better. <laughs> <laughs> and I and I don't mean digitally like, you know, not fixing stuff, but just um, because I'm recording it myself too, you know, I'm just sticking a mic in front of a guitar amp and making sure it's not going into the red on the preamp. And, you know, so he may carve out things in the EQ world or, um, whatever. I don't know whatever voodoo magic he does, but all I know <laughs> that whenever he sends something to me, it's always a really fun day for me to listen to it and go, wow, this sounds amazing because, um, I, I know what I'm sending him, so <laughs> it all sounds good after that. Was there an instrument you would say you had the hardest time doing on this album, or was just the biggest pain in the ass to record? Uh, no, but one thing that really helped me was um, for the first time sort of signing up for the, um, you know, like sound libraries and stuff. So all the strings and everything I did, myself um so signing up and having access to string sounds or world instrument sounds or whatever um via midi uh that was kind of a that was fun 
Um, and it was a challenge because I'm so technically not savvy. So it was a little stressful getting, figuring out how to make it all work. But, um, I mean, that's so impressive though, that you learn, like, again, like, like that you will jump into these things like that. That's so impressive that you're like, I don't really know what it's like. I'm going to jump right into it. Well, for the longest time, I would always, you know, I'm a big believer in people like in people who, who have a skill or a devotion to a skill or a talent or a trade or whatever. I, I, I think that's amazing. But what I found is like, I at one point was had the idea of, well, maybe I should go to like engineering school just so I could learn how to record my own records. Like, but that seemed really, that just seemed to delay the process. Like, Oh, I could go, even if I took it at community college or something or, or, you know, that's time I could be spent recording and writing rather than learning how to properly record something. So I kind of, I think because I, in this process, I'm 51 now, I turned 50, you know, sort of last year, but leading up to it, I was seeing, saying, gosh, I'm going to be 50. I don't have time anymore to go learn how to do things. I need to just do it. And so that's, how, that's what I did. I mean, I just, I figured out how to, how to get some sort of string sound into my computer and, and recorded, you know, all the string parts and the instrument orchestra parts and all that stuff. And um, it's the same thing with guitar again. Like I probably should have learned how to do it properly. And I probably should have learned the names of the strings and I should probably, but I would much rather spend the time writing and recording. So I'm a big believer in well people learning their trade but i'm also a big believer in not really allowing things to get in your way um which was not always the case in my younger years i felt like i uh i had couldn't do anything unless i learned how to do it and at some point i just said screw it i'm just gonna i'm just gonna blow forward and just nothing's gonna stop me so I like that. That's a good attitude to have. I mean, that's a, I feel like that's a great way to go. Like, don't overthink it. If you overthink it, you're going to kind of, you're going to think of all the things that could go wrong. Like, just jump into it. Just do it. Like, it's either going to work or it's not, but you know, it's going to do nothing if you don't just go for it. Yeah. And, and I think, and definitely when I'm, when we're, when we've been doing these band rehearsals, and again, my guys that are playing with me are fantastic musicians, you know, and we're sort of playing the album in order. And, oh, you know, nice. The first, three, the first three songs have the exact same chord structure. You know, they weren't written to be the first three songs. But again, going back to it, telling a story, when I put them together, those all have the same. And so I have to, I've stopped. But initially I was like, I'm really sorry. I'm really sorry. I'm really sorry. It's really simple. It's really simple. And, um, but it's simple because I can't play Joe, Joe Satriani stuff and, and I'm not interested in that. So um, to me, it's simple in the way that the Ramones are simple, but I, I love the Ramones. Yeah. You know? like, so um, I think, I think simple and primitive in my case works for me. I think for a lot of, I, I think, I think a lot of people like what you just said, I mean, like I, the Ramones, I think one of the greatest bands of all time. You you don't need a whole lot. There's not a whole lot going on there. Like time and place exactly. for that, like time and place for that stuff. But like that, I don't listen to muffled tears and go, 
you know, if 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 there would have been this like guitar solo here, if you would have put this bass fill here, like it would have just made it so much better. Like I don't I don't think that anyone, you know, like again, like time and place for it. It's like I don't think it would have added anything to your music. Like I think you you have everything that you need there. And something I'll also say to uh to kind of compliment like like even though you, you said like maybe you don't know what you're doing with some of it. I also think that's how you form your own style. Like I, I think even with guitar, like, like, and maybe we talked about that this last time, but did you play much guitar be- before the Ulas? No, I mean, uh, I had a guitar, I bought a guitar, you know, when I was in Everclear and someone showed me how to do a bar chord. Um, but that was the sort of, that was it. And then when, when, when I left Everclear, you know, it was, there was just so much drama and I was just tired of playing drums and I was so associated with drums. And so I wanted to see if I could write a song. And so I started to write songs. Um, and then the Ulas got together and some of those songs were used and we started writing songs together. So before the Ulas, no. And that was the fun thing about the Ulas was that it was like, well, how I was like 35 years old in the Ulas, and all of a sudden it was like trying to figure out how to plug a guitar into an amp. You know, <laughs> it, was like, it was really fun for me to get back to a, a beginning spot. Um, but all of us were complete beginners, but yet we created something that allowed us to be signed to Island Def Jam Records. So, again, I use the Ramones analogy that it's you know that. The makeup was simple, but you know you gotta um, you gotta write something that's pleasing to you. Oh yeah, it had to sound good for them to throw money at it. Yeah, you know. Well, yeah, they they thought there was something there. Um, but so yeah, I didn't start really writing songs into the Ulas, um, and then um, and the same, like I said, the same thing sort of happened. We moved to Omaha and there were times when I wasn't on tour and I had the house to myself. So I just thought, well, let me see if I can do this myself without my brother and, and Ollie and the Ulas and, and see if I could be, have some, you know, be able to critique myself as I went to just make sure that I wasn't recording something that was terrible. And as, as it went on, I was like, I think this is pretty good. I, I stand behind this and, and, um, you know, I'm really proud of it. So see, and, and that, that that's like what I was thinking and kind of going with it is, uh, you know, like I think you're someone who it, it, it benefits that, that you kind of taught yourself and just kind of jumped in because listening, listening to the Ulas and listening to the, uh, the new record, you know, I can, I can hear some similarities in like your style where I go like, you have a style of like playing like your guitar playing, which, you know, again, if you took lessons or like tried to go a really conventional route, maybe you'd be a really boring guitar player where I'm like, no, this works. Like you have, you have a sound, like there, there is a sound there and it works that, you know, again, I think, I think people lose. I've seen friends, I've seen friends who took music theory who kind of lost all creativity because they started thinking in a box, you know, cause sometimes that happens when you, when you try to like learn again, like conventionally. So I, I think it worked out for you going the route you do of just jumping into it. Yeah, totally. And I mean, I may have said this last time because it's one of my favorite quotes, but it's the Duke Ellington quote that says your sound is defined by what you can't play. So oh, I, like that. I can't, 
I can't play all those shredded guitar things. So I just try to find out some way that I can do it my way and my way simple. But um, I just, that's how I navigate, navigate that, you know? And I, and also, I mean, I, my personal thing and people may agree with me or not agree with me, but you know, like choose a favorite band. Uh, Usually it's their first three records that are really good. And maybe four okay but um yeah i think i think you're I, right a lot of bands that that does tend to be well i mean like i love elvis, early elvis costello you know i grew up in england he was on the radio and he was kind of like smart man punk and like all of that but it was kind of like once he figured out all the chords it became like just like you know once he befriended burt Bacharach and all that it was just, it became something for me different than what i liked about him when he was young and learning um once you're able to play all the jazz chords and all that stuff or sting you know yeah that's a good example you know what that is a that is a great I, example I love, the, I love the early police like <laughs> and, or you know i love the police but especially the early police but you know now sting is and granted he's got to grow as an artist too but now that he's playing 15th century loot music <laughs> like i'm not i'm not me myself i'm not personally interested in that and then i when they reformed i was a huge please fan and Stuart copeland's like my number one drummer guy partly because he broke out of the drummer role and started scoring music and doing his own music and stuff which almost all the drummers in my life i i realize now that i like did that so it was just sort of a blueprint for me to do that that's cool but, but when they reformed in 2008 i didn't go see him um and so i've never seen the police but in the concert footage I've seen, you know, they're playing the same songs, but they're all amazing musicians now. So it seemed kind of canned or... I know what you're seemed, saying. It seemed too perfect. You know what I mean? Like, Stuart was holding the tempo right. He wasn't speeding up and Sting wasn't bouncing around on the stage. And, you know, it was like, um, well, maybe he was, but I'm just saying, like, sonically, it, it's, it sounded professional. Yeah, I, I don't fine. like... I mean, that's what it is, but... For me, I like the early days when they weren't sure of what was going on and what they were doing, and so I don't know. No, I I agree. Like when you go see a band, like I I've seen those where maybe you see them earlier on, and there's more of like an energy and stuff, and the songs aren't perfect. But there's there's a charm to that over trying to play to a click and trying to like really just play it straight and like you know, on the, on the beat, like not screw anything up, play like precise. I, I don't know. I, I rather the, I rather the, I guess you call it youthful energy you, you find in that, if, if you will, which I mean, you can have later on too, but that, that thing of, again, not overthinking it, like maybe not knowing it, like you said, like maybe Elvis Costello, not knowing all the chords, maybe it's, maybe it's not the best thing that you know, right. all of these, you know what I mean? Like maybe it was right. better when you only knew some of that stuff, you know? Yeah, but I mean, as an artist, you got to continue to grow. It's just that for me personally, and so I'm not trying to discredit Sting's 15th century loot music or or Elvis's later records. Um, I mean, I think they're amazing artists. And as an artist, you can't do the same thing over and over again. But what I, I for me personally, I like, I like it when the when the train is go, you know, like two wheels are off the rail, you know, coming around the corner, and it's a struggle. And you're, that tension of like, oh no, is it going to tip over or oh, it's back on the rails again? Like, I, some of my favorite drummers are not real drummers; they're just people that you know taught themselves to play. And because of that, they do it all wrong. But there's a tension there that's like, 
oh, are they going to make it through the song? Like, oh, you know, they, <laughs> I love you know, they're that. really, they're back there struggling, but it, it adds attention to it. You know, whereas if you see a true talent of a drummer and pick whatever ones you want, I, I'm, you know, Dave Weckl or, you know, anybody. I mean, uh, me, to have them sit down and play two and four is it's going to be so amazingly perfect that it's dull. I would rather watch someone really struggling, trying to keep it together, playing two and four um, just because that tension is there. And and I think that's what the Duke Ellington quote means to me. It's, you know, your your sound is defined by what you can't play. If you can play everything, then that seems kind of boring to me. But I, well, I love, I love like your analogy that you just used and to bring them up for the 5,000th time, the Ramones on that, I mean, I think they are struggling. Like they did kind of, they do sound like they just learned their instruments like a month ago. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like there, there yeah. is that. And, and my youthful energy, there's that youthful energy to it. Cause it's like, it's not these, it's not these guys coming from Berkeley. The Ramones aren't, no. they're not like Berkeley trained musicians. Like, I no. mean, Johnny Ramone, there's like a quote where he was describing power chords, but he didn't know what they were. Cause he plays bar chords. And like he didn't even really know the like proper term for a power chord. It's like these guys weren't like proficient. They knew what no. they needed to be the Ramones. And my God, did they do it amazingly? Yeah, I mean that's that's the great thing about them, right? Is that anybody just starting to play can play those songs. But you know, those songs once they're in your head, they're so catchy and and they they translate it around the world. But it's still just downstrokes and three chords, you know. And so I. I I get a lot of inspiration from them because I'm just like, that's what I'm doing. Downstrokes and three chords. So how do I make it sound like me? You know, and, and it comes out sounding like me. So I like that. I like that. Um, you know, speaking of going back to the new record, are there any like specific bands or artists that you would like say influenced, influenced you on this or like that you kind of thought of when you were trying to like figure out the sound that you, you know, like that you wanted it to sound like? Um, uh, not that I wanted it to sound like, um, not re I mean, you know, other than just the ones that I was into as a kid, but I never set out and said, Oh, I'm going to make this sound like this. Um, it was more, it was like a, going back to what we were just talking about. It's more, um, finding inspiration in drummers to come out from behind the drums and write and record music. You know, Stuart Copeland was one. Dave Grohl, obviously. Probably the biggest. Um, yeah. And then, but even people like, um, um, oh, Louis Perez, who was the uh, drummer of Los Lobos, you know, but he was also the lyricist of every one of their, their songs that, or not everyone of the songs that he wrote with David Adago. Um, uh, and so, and at one point, you know, in the Los Lobos have been around for what, 40 years or something. But oh, at least at, at one point, you know, he just came out from behind the drums and they had a guy back there playing drums. So now he's out front playing guitar um, with the band and, and playing the songs that he wrote the lyrics to. Um, so he, he was always, you know, he was always a big uh, influence. I mean, I'm a huge Los Lobos fan. So, um, so I, I kind of, I, I wouldn't say there was any sort of designation of sound saying I want it to sound like this, but um, I think it was just more inspiration of, you know, stepping out from behind the drums. And uh, I mean, I don't play drums very much anymore. You know, with Storm Large and stuff, I tour with her, or not 
during COVID, obviously, but <laughs> why, why this record was going on, I tour with her and stuff, but um, uh, it's not a very drum heavy performance. And so, uh, you know, I haven't actually played, like sat down and like really played drums for quite a while. And, and a lot of the drums on this record are really simple. My wife's always like, why are your drums always really simple on your records? It's because I'm not, I don't think to try to show off on the, on the drums or now I don't even know if I could show up, but um, <laughs> it's more about just writing what's for the song. And um, so the drums are, you know, usually really, really simple and that's fine. I don't want the distraction of complicated drums and the songs aren't complicated. So I don't know, maybe some record I'll next record, I'll do some, you know, whacked out beat stuff and something, but like a 30 um, piece drum kit. Well, I, yeah. <laughs> Well, I've, you know, now that I'm old, I've got all sorts of shoulder ailments and stuff. I don't know if I could reach over to get <laughs> to get the seventh ride that for that side. But, I need that know. seventh ride. <laughs> yeah, the seventh ride. Um, I can barely get around the four piece kit with a hi hat ride. Um, <laughs> but uh, but um, so I don't know. I you know, I maybe who knows what comes down the line and and. Gosh, wouldn't it be great if I was still recording 30 years from now and someone's like, you used to be better when you didn't know what you were doing. You, know, or some, you, know. you become really proficient. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I just start busting out like jazz chops and stuff. <laughs> oh, that'd be great. <laughs> it um, won't happen. It won't happen, by the way. <laughs> Even full circle, it's Elvis Costello saying it to you. <laughs> Yeah, exactly, exactly. I like that stuff you used to do, but not, not anymore. I wanted, I wanted to ask you, I mean, I, I don't know that we talked about this or not last time, but I always like to kind of talk about gear, like, on records. Like, I mean, do you use a lot of different stuff, or are you kind of someone, like, on this album, you have the one guitar that you like, you have the one bass, you have, like, the one amp, like, or did you experiment much at all with uh, the instruments you used? Wow, that's a good question. I've never been asked a gear question before. Um, what do I do? I, I I have. What did I do on this record? I I have kind of a lot of stuff. I have way more guitars than I should have for being a drummer. But usually the two. I have two main guitars. One's a, a GNL uh, Blues Boy Telly. Is that the one you play in the Ulas? Like yeah, live? That's my, I yeah, like that's that Telly. I like the one yeah. from live videos. That is that's a nice looking telly. Yeah, that's I I like it a lot too. It's um yeah, so that's one and then uh I have one of those whatever 65 or 62 reissue jazz masters or whatever. I don't know the year, but um uh both actually both of those guitars were bought when the Ruas got signed and we had a we had a recording budget. So they're like, You gotta spend this money or otherwise it comes back to us or something. So we were Damn. like, Okay. <laughs> we bought a bunch of we bought a bunch of stuff. And uh going back to the Everclear days, you know, our art was sponsored, our Everclear was sponsored because I think Craig was too by um Mesa Boogie Amp. So somehow I ended up with like a uh Trummel Verb or is it tremolo verb uh dual rectifier verb whatever the two speakers see i'm so terrible the dual stuff. rectifier Those? yeah but it wasn't it wasn't the dual it's not a dual rectifier it's a it's um oh jeez what is 
it's probably nice if it's Mesa. It's probably a nice ass uh, amp. It is, and I used it. I toured with that with the Ulas because it was it's built like a tank. I think it's called a tremo verb. It's got both reverb and tremo in it, and it's a whatever. It's got two speakers. Oh, nice. Everyone, everyone who's the guitar player is laughing out there you know, right now. But, uh, <laughs> I got that, but um, so that was on some of it. But uh, you know, a lot of times I would use just plugins. You know, like run the guitar in and use a a, a plugin that came with my uh, stuff. So, oh, you know, actually, you know what's used a lot, both on the Ulas and this record it's a little teeny path like box pathfinder but like the little cheapy 100 dollar one. Oh, nice i know what you're talking about yeah like like it's well i don't know to me it's it's not like tube or anything it's literally like the hundred dollar little teeny teeny one or i mean you know cereal box size or yeah. something like that um but I don't know if I've got a good one or what, but it sounds really good when you mic it up. So I use that a lot. So those are sort of the amps. Um, I have a, a bass. I have two bases that I use. Um, one is a, a Fender P, like 1970s. I don't know the year, but somewhere in the 70s. Oh, uh, nice PJ. vintage. Nice. Yeah, I don't think it, what's the year that, was it 75 or 73 whenever CBS sold it or whatever or whatever? Yeah, I think it was like early 70s, somewhere in there. Okay, so this might be mid-70s or something, but um, I bought it in Portland. At, it was like pretty cheap, but the guy said it was cheap because the you know it used to be candy apple red or something, and someone in the 70s shape, you know, sanded it down to the bare wood. Um, oh, so it's just natural. It's natural, but I guess if you, I've never done it, but if you take the pick art, I guess he did when he got it, you know, there's some candy apple red or something around the edges. So it wasn't all original or it was all original, but it wasn't the original paint job. So it was relatively cheap, but, um, and my brother used that live in the Ula. So any Ula's footage you see is probably my brother playing that bass. And then also with the Ula's um, recording budget, I bought a Fender 6 bass. Nice. And so a lot of times I double those two. Um, oh, nice. Even though I'm playing the same <laughs> downstroke, you know, root note, um, the two of them together make it sound really cool. So um, that those are pretty much the guitars. I guess there's some acoustic guitars and stuff in there. Um, there was never more than four channels of drums because I just, I just did overhead kick and snare. Um and I don't even have fancy preamps for all that. I think the drums are just going straight into my um, Digi 03 or whatever that that unit is. So I'm just using the the, the Pro Tools plugins or not plugins, the preamps. Um, yeah. But actually, mid, mid, you know what? Midway through the process, though, I think I got on the subscription service, so I was able to put on some like Neve plugins and stuff on the tracks as they. Uh, after after the fact so i mean real simple um and i think there's some what ukuleles and some kid toys there's a kid keyboard on one stuff you know pretty simple and all the orchestra stuff is all the midi that it's stuff that i was talking about see that's cool i never would have assumed that was midi not it not at yeah. all yeah it was funny because um storm storm large was here visiting and i played her the record and she was like 
oh, so who'd you get to, to score this? And I was like, what do you mean score it? And she goes, that's you? And I go, yes. And she was like, wow, the sounds are so much better than they used to be. You know, where, you know, someone would be like, Zing! that's like the string sound. You know, <laughs> you know it was, uh, so, um, yeah, they, they sound much better than, than I guess they used to. Um, but I'm, I, same thing with like, on the, on the, that stuff, I'm, I'm one finger in it, you know, on the, on the MIDI keyboard, <laughs> you know, it's, I'm telling you, it's way simpler than what it sounds like, or maybe, maybe not, maybe people go, wow, it sounds really simple, which it is. See, I don't think it does, like, not to, and I'm not even saying that it sounds like super, super complex, but it's like, I, I think it is, does not sound as simple as like the way you dissect it, like, I, I even listening to it, I don't think it's that simple. Yeah, well, I mean, it's, I work in layers, so it's a bunch of simple layers that maybe add up to something <laughs> that sound better. But, you know, I mean, a case in point, you know, um, one of the songs called Trafalgar, which is pretty much me, just acoustic. And um, actually, that was recorded on my phone, actually, in L.A. when before we moved to Portland and then we moved to Omaha. So it predates the record by a long time. Oh, wow. By a couple, by a couple of years. I sat, I'd sort of written this song and had you know, when you write a song and then all of a sudden you got the lyrics sort of finalized and you're like, wow, okay, I want to just get it down in its form, you know, just as a demo. Yeah. So you, can, so you remember it. And I recorded that in my living room in Los Angeles on just my phone. So it was one mic, you know, I played guitar and sang it live. Oh, that is awesome. And it just, I was never able to better it. I tried to better it and I couldn't. And that's why like in the beginning, there's like a siren going on because right then there was a cop car going by. But <laughs> the orchestral thing in the middle of that is my wife was in the kitchen and she turned on the blender to make a smoothie while I was recording. So <laughs> in the middle of the song, not hugely loudly, and you can still hear it now through the orchestra, but uh, you know, at some point he went, eh, you know, <laughs> I have to in listen for this now. Yeah, so I was like, well, geez, I got to cover that up. Oh, I'll write an orchestral little thing for it and put it in there. <laughs> and that's what I, but if you listen real carefully, you can still hear her in the background. Like, man, so. You got to give her a writing all, credit. Hey, hey, no, don't mention that. No. <laughs> um, but that's sort of, you know, that's about as much pre thought as goes into some of this stuff. Like, just, oh, I've got to cover that up. So I'm going to put a little piece in there. I love that though, because like, like the I like. Hopefully, people hear this too, who maybe because maybe the other thing you're doing too is people who are like, you know, like people who are like interested in in doing music who are just intimidating or just starting out. Where it's like, no, jump into it. Like, you don't have to know everything. Like, jump in and do these things. You don't need a lot to make an album or write songs. Like, just use what you know and go from there. You know, you'll it, it will work out. Exactly. I I would. I mean, I would love to climb a mountain and yell that out to everybody because I'm, I'm a case in point but you know like I said I was intimidated early on oh I couldn't do this properly and I can't do this properly and I can't but at some point maybe that comes with age but I was just like screw it I'm just gonna you know move forward on it and that's that's what worked and and um you know the same sort of thing with the one um one song on there until tomorrow I kind of written this little piano thing. It was kind of cool, but I couldn't kind of find any words for it. And um, 
I just thought, well, shoot, I'm going to go pull up some home movies. And, and I just scrubbed the audio from it of my kids and, and my wife and when my kids were babies and, and all of this stuff. And so I just put the audio over top of the piano part and it was perfect. I don't know if that qualifies as a song or not, but I feel like it's a good sequence in between songs. I feel like it's a good transition. Like it works really well with, uh, with the album as a whole. Yeah, exactly. And that's another example of like just moving the story forward, you know, to the next, next spot. The same thing with away, you know, I think that's like a minute and a half long. That was one of those songs where I was initially trying to, you know, I really liked the little part that I had. And so I was trying to like shoehorn it into a bigger song and it just wasn't working. So I said, well, the minute and a half I got is pretty good. So that's what, <laughs> that's the song, you know, and moving on, moving on to the next one. <laughs> like, um, and so that helps get to the next part of the story too. So, um, you know, in this particular case, stuff like that works in this narrative. Um, if the songs weren't related, maybe not, but, or maybe they don't have to be related or maybe you just write a minute and a half long song. Who cares? Yeah. I mean, like, like that's the other thing. I think it could still work in that capacity. Like if you wrote another album and it wasn't a concept album, but you still just kind of wrote it with those ideas in mind, I totally think that could still work. You go, the song doesn't need, maybe it is only two minutes, but guess what? That's all it needs to be. If it's good, it's good. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Well, I mean, you know, I, I had, um, I had a CD way back in the day that I used to listen to, like touring with Everclear. There was, um, <clears throat> they were basically field recordings of of white musicians sort of playing African American blues stuff. But so it was like white man blues, but it was you know <laughs> poor country country blues. But you know, a lot of them were like field recordings and stuff. So you know. There was one song where there's this great guitar. There's no singing. It's just this guy playing guitar. And in the middle of the song, he stops and he's like, you know, starts talking sort of like, well, we're just breaking it down here in room 57 in the St. Andrews Hotel on 50 whatever street or whatever, you know, like, (laughs) and then started started back up again. And I was like, wow, this is amazing. You know, this is like this is a guy literally just playing in a hotel room. And so that seems pretty cool to me. So that is awesome. If I can generate something, you know, that, that has a, my wife making a blender smoothie in the background, (laughs) you know, like there's, um, it's an artistic statement. So yeah, I I was, I felt very used that to feel very free to, to move however I wanted to go. Do you think then that you will kind of continue, like, when it comes to, and whenever it is, obviously this just came out, but I mean, like, do you feel like you'll take that approach more now when writing albums, just that kind of, you know, I mean, you already have the jump in attitude, but that real, like, you just kind of go with the flow, it doesn't need to be a whole lot of something, it's like, if it works, it works, but, like, do you feel like you've learned, you've learned some, like, things from recording this one you'll bring to, like, future recordings? Absolutely. Absolutely. And, but I think the big thing is, is that, you know, again, I'm not trying to write for a pop radio format or anything. I mean, that if I could only write my songs, but I was trying to write for Billie Eilish or whatever, like I would be an extremely frustrated person. But um, once you give up that, it's real freeing. And so, yeah, I'm, I'm, I think I broke through for me personally as an artist on this 
record and who knows what the next one's going to be. Um, you know, I, we'll, we'll see. But I think, well, the other thing is too, is I, I made a bunch of videos for this record too. And it was, again, it was like, gosh, I should have gone to film school so I could learn how to make a video. But <laughs> I, again, I just said, you know what, screw it. I'm just going to film something and, or, or grab a bunch of stuff. And, you know, again, it's not, there's no MTV anymore, so it doesn't have to be up to a certain level of production. Yeah. And again, this is a personal record, so it's really easy to make personal videos. Um, but again, that was just a whole nother thing where I, I didn't really know how to do it, but I just figured I was going to jump in and do it. And, and so, yeah, on YouTube, uh, where do I have him? I think I have him at the, he's just the drummer type in. He's just the drummer on YouTube. I think in, they'll show up or, yeah i think whatever. i think you're right i've seen two i saw the one for she came and the uh oh the first one you did the uh, uh for liberation yes yes that, that was the that was the other one i saw yeah both of those are on your uh, youtube page for sure because that's where i've seen them okay but uh yeah that's the other thing i'm terrible at is like social media and promoting and all of that stuff <laughs> like, <laughs> oh that's like pulling teeth for me you know i oh it drives me crazy part i think partly well, I have a million reasons to blame, but I won't. But <laughs> I mean, kind of, kind of uh, going to what we're talking about right now. But I mean, like being someone who's been at it for so long. I mean, even say, I mean, go back twenty years ago. Like, if, if you're talking to yourself twenty years ago, you're talking about all these things that, like, you can now release an album. And like you said, there's no real gatekeeping with MTV. You can just put out a video on YouTube. Doesn't really matter. Like. You can record a record how you want. You can put an album out without major labels. Like you can do all these things. Like, do you ever take a step back and look at that? And like, does that blow your mind? Because you you really did come from an era of you kind of need those labels. You kind of do need ma- you know like major labels and radio airplay and all that stuff were important. And now it's like, I mean, yeah, those things exist, but you really don't need them anymore if you don't want them. Like that's there's not just one route you you have to take anymore. There's many many routes that were never there before. Oh, completely. It's a different, it's a different world now. Um, but you know, all of those radio reps and promoters and, and art designers and video guys and A&R people, you know, they're all there to get your products sold. So it only works as long as you've got product to sell. And, and when that all, again, going back to just going back to once you give up trying to do that there's a lot of freedom i don't know i it's partly talking about this it's it remind you know I'm, I'm doing this documentary on this minnesota drummer and i'm and i'm collecting all the vinyl and stuff that he did and and you know it's they it's independent records these guys went into a basement in rural minnesota and recorded these records for sale you know and they would sell them at their dances and stuff and they would they would do really well, but none of them ended up on a radio or, you know, anything like that. I just, yeah. I'm, I'm drawing and I don't know, I'm kind of free thinking here, but I, I draw from a lot of inspiration and different things. And, and for me coming from the old way of doing it, where you get signed and then you got the expectations, you got to produce this product that they can sell and they have all these people that are paid to make it happen. And as soon as you stop selling, you get dropped and that's the end of that story. You know, once you, like I said, once you give that all up, it's really freeing as an artist. And, you know, 
I, I don't have any aspirations of trying to sell a million records. I think about the closest thing you can maybe want is, you know, maybe to get a piece of music in a film or a commercial or something like that. That that would be the dream at this point. See, that's good. If, I don't you any music supervisors out there can contact me. You know? <laughs> <laughs> but I, I mean, like that's and and kind of like we were talking about earlier. That I said would probably be good for young musicians like that. You know, use what you have. You don't have to be the greatest. Is also that you don't have to jump into music trying to to because really, who is selling a million records anymore? Like even that stuff has changed. It's like you don't have to go in with your goals being fame and fortune like you can go in and your goals can be like many other things like you know you your goals can just be getting an album out just you know it it doesn't matter if one person hears it or a million hears it like that itself can be a goal you know a satisfying goal of just getting getting your music out in the first place yep and and in today's world it can be done for pennies on the dollar of what you know what it all used to cost it's Um, mind-blowing actually well, I mean, I had the recording equipment myself and I begged, borrowed and called in some favors and stuff. But, you know, really the biggest cost of the record was printing vinyl. So even if you don't print vinyl, you know, the digital world, you don't you don't need to do that. I'm I'm old school and I wanted to print vinyl. And, and this project was special to me because it's so personal. So I wanted to. Um, but, you know, I mean, you, people just load up stuff all the time onto iTunes or whatever, you know, constant new not even rec like albums, but just singles now. You know? Oh, like, singles are huge. There, there's artists who I don't even think put out full lengths. They just they'll just put out a single every couple months. Like it's not yeah. even a, an album anymore. Yeah, and and I think um, in this process, I've learned a bunch. Um, you know, um, like I use DistroKid to upload to um, iTunes. You know, and it's back in those days. Not even back in the old days, but just you know, a couple of years ago, there were only certain companies that held access into put, getting your music onto digital formats. And so suddenly, like whatever the fee was, you can upload as much new music as you want. That was inspiring to me because you know it takes a while to do a whole nother album again. But I was like, wow, I could literally just be throwing up singles here and there whenever you know something gets completed. So oh, totally. Uh, even within my process, I'm learning that I can streamline and shorten it and get it out there anyway. That's really rad. I feel like you've like this. This has really been like like doing muffled tears. I feel like has been really good for you in a lot of different ways. And I like like where you learn too. Like that, that you'll continue learning. You're not one of those people where it's like it's this one way. It's like no things change. Like you you adapt with it, and and you seem to adapt well, which I think is something you have to do in the music industry like you have to learn to adapt because it changes constantly yeah definitely and i'm yeah you make me sound way more like self-visualized than i am i mean (laughs) sorry i no 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 i like it i i i'm starting to see myself that way based off of what you're saying but um uh, you know, there's that side, and then there's also the old man side of yelling, get off my lawn. You know, like, <laughs> gotta have the yin and yang. You gotta have the yin and yang. These kids, <laughs> these kids today. But, you know, I, again, this record was done in between loads of laundry and cooking dinners, and, and then, you know, really, because it took so long to do, I was away, and, you know, so to suddenly pop up, it, the whole thing has been a learning experience, for sure. Um, and it's, 
it's yeah i moving forward I, I look forward to the new music that i'll be writing and recording that that is awesome going going back to uh i mean i know you've mentioned a live band which is very cool because i was going to ask you i mean if you had plans of playing this stuff live it obviously sounds like you do how long have you been uh like playing with them now how long have you had them assembled well we've actually had only a couple of rehearsals um the story though is that back in march of last year wait yeah last year not this year boy i don't even know what year we're in march <laughs> last year um you know that was when the when it, when the record started to be, get mixed so i kind of said gosh i should maybe put a band together to do some shows you know for release or whatever and um so i got this great band together and we 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 met to rehearse and we did and it was like this is great everyone was like yeah these songs are great really like your record and i apologized a bunch for it being a simple record but they were all into it and i was like uh so they said great it was like thursday night they're like let's let's rehearse again thursday next thursday i go okay and then the governor shut down the state because of covid in between that week (laughs) oh shit (laughs) so we didn't have another rehearsal for a year and a half oh uh, wow we won't We've only well. The great thing is there was no shows to play either. But um, true, true. Oh, and that was another part of it. Like there was no rush to, for me to say, "Hey, James Brown, can you mix this faster?" Because everything was shut down. You know, there were no shows. There was nothing to play. Um, so that was another thing that kind of stalled the process. But there was no sort of incentive to try to rush it because there was nothing to do. That's a good point. Um, yeah, and then so. Uh, a month and a half ago or two months ago I well actually once once the vaccine started coming out I, I contacted the guys again and said tell me how y'all are feeling if you don't want to do it I totally understand but you know and everybody said yeah let's do it so we've we've had like three practices and um yeah um what oh, I've got this guy Scott McPherson playing drums who uh, I first met when I was trying to find a new laws drummer um, and I gave him a new law CD. We both lived in LA at the time and I gave him a new law CD and he loved the Ula CD, but he was touring with like Beck and like, Oh, nice. Uh, like M Ward. And like, he, he used to play with Elliot Smith. Like nice. he's kind of, he's kind of badass. So he was like, I love your record, but I can't, tour with you and make twenty dollars a night and two drink tickets like you know (laughs) he had other he had other more important gigs so um and then at some point he moved to portland or back to portland and then i moved to portland so when we ran into each other in portland i said hey you know would you maybe want to do some stuff and he said yes but then that didn't happen and so finally we both end up in minneapolis And um, so I called him and I said, dude, it's been 15 years that I've been chasing you around in different <laughs> cities. Can we can we play? And he goes, yes. So um, he plays drums. Um, a guy, Casey Barak, who plays with uh, or whose band is Porcupine? Porcupine. Oh, yeah. I love Porcupine. I saw them a he's few por- times in uh, Minneapolis when I lived up there. They're great. Yeah, they're great. He's playing guitar. Oh, band. nice. He's a, he's a solid guitar player too. Oh, he's amazing. Um, and I'm so lucky that these guys said yes to it. He, um, used to play in a band called space bike that, uh, from lacrosse, Wisconsin, that 
Everclear, when we would come through the Midwest in the early bar days, would always play with them. And so he and I have known each other for a long time. Um, although I didn't know he was in Minneapolis. He worked at Twin, Twin Town uh, Guitars, Twin Town. Oh, Twin, is it Twin Tone? Twin Tone. I always get it wrong. I see Town. Yeah, Twin Tone. And I walked in there and we just stared at each other for a second. And we're like, holy shit, you live here? Wow, you was like, what are you doing here? And I was like, I just moved here. Um, so he was another guy that that um, said yes. So I was really glad about that. And um, actually, I'm working on some drums for the new Porcupine record with him. I was too, actually so. going to ask you if you could say anything. Because I saw you posted a picture of you doing some percussion the other day. And I love Porcupine. So I got really stoked when I saw that. And I didn't know if you yeah. could talk about it or not. Well, I don't know if I can either. Uh, actually, I said, I, I contacted Casey and I said, I'm going to put this online. Is that okay? And he said, yeah. He's, he's, I'm, he gave me a song or two to sort of work on and play. And uh, I'm coming up with some really cool stuff, I think. But of course, we'll see if it makes it through the process. Because <laughs> I think, I, I think he's bringing in a bunch of people to play on the new record. So I don't, I don't know what all that is, but he's playing guitar for me. And then I got another guy, um, Chad, uh, who came, was recommended from um, by Casey on on bass, and so it's like a great band, a great band. Um, you know, the, the idea is not to tour or anything because we all have families and projects and stuff. It was just to play around town and or the Midwest, and you know, do that and to just sort of support the record. And you know, for me, it's fun to play guitar and try to sing live. I was going to say you'll be playing rhythm guitar then and singing. Yeah, sure. Nice. nice. <laughs> yeah, sure. Well, well, like I said earlier, those conversations with, you know, are Casey going, hey, what are you playing here? What is this lick? I was like, I, I don't know. <laughs> and then, of course, he's so badass, he can figure it out. But um, I'm, I'm throwing a lot at those guys saying, I don't know, you can you please make it sound really cool? Because I'm really just trying to play guitar and sing, you know, for me. <laughs> I need you guys to pick up the slack on anything else. And of course they're all amazing. So they can do that. So yeah. I feel like you can throw it on him. Cause porcupine's just a three piece. So he's the only guitar playing there anyway. So it's like, you can kind of, I feel like you can throw that at him. Like you can do rhythm and lead dude. Like you, you, you take the brunt of this. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I definitely need a band that can do that. Cause, uh, yeah, I'm just trying to play the, the bass chords and, and trying to sing, um, and play at the same time, which I haven't done since the Lula, so that was a while ago but they're, they're amazing guys and and you know we're all about the same age and you know we all yell get off my lawn <laughs> in unison <laughs> yeah <laughs> if anyone young walks by we're like get off our lawn <laughs> <laughs> that i that is really exciting to hear and uh the porcupine thing too because i love them and i feel like you're yeah. in a good place because i mean not just playing there but like with minneapolis you're not too far away from like a few other Midwest cities. Like you can go over to Chicago, like that's doable. You go to Madison, like there's a, there's a few places like in Wisconsin you could hit and you can all yeah. do, you can do all that shit in like weekends if you want to. Yeah. And we'll see how it goes. I mean, you know, who knows with the, everything going on now. We may be shut <laughs> that's, down true. that's true. That's <laughs> true. That's a good point. <laughs> That'll just be, you know, exactly the case of this band is that we get together again and they shut everything down. But I mean, you know, Casey porcupine's a big thing. Scott's got a business and a family. So, you know, it would be one night, you know, tops and, and uh, like, again, I'm not signed or on any major label or anything. So there's no sort of support to go that way, but 
we just like getting together and playing the music and, and I'm lucky enough to have those guys dig my record and, and want to work with me. And that's a good feeling. So that, that is awesome. I, uh, I wanted to ask you too, you brought it up a second ago earlier, but, uh, last time you were on, you were talking about that, uh, documentary you're working on a little bit, extremely interesting. I mean, have you, have you gotten to do much else since, uh, we last talked? Like, has there been more progress on the film? There has, you know, COVID was happening. Um, so that, you know, that delayed it, but I'm in the process of finishing up the interviews for it. And I brought on, um, I had one producer in the beginning and, and I brought in a new producer. So now I have two, two producers and, um, you know, again, never having made a documentary film before. And again, with that idea of, well, geez, I should take a film class. Um, Oh no, I'm not going to waste the time. I'm just going to do it. We've just been barreling forward on this. And, and so th- this new producer that I brought in is a little more savvy in documentaries and she's worked in um, reality TV and stuff. So I kind of played her everything I shot and just to make, sh- to ask her if it was sort of up to <clears throat> snuff, you know, quality wise, um, because it's just me with a GoPro, you know, just like, <laughs> and uh, she said, yeah, we can, you know, I just wanted to make sure we could use it. And she was like, this is great. It obviously tells a story that you've never made a film before, but that's the, the beauty of it, right? That's, let's go back to Duke Ellington again. <laughs> like, yeah. It's you know, part of the I mean, charm of it all. Yeah. So she's like, that's what it is. It's you holding a GoPro and interviewing people. It's not, obviously not a 14 person film crew, but that's not what you're making and that's not what you're doing. So it tells your story during this process. And, um, so I'm just moving forward on that. Um, I, my idea is to get all the interviews done by the by the winter, so that we can hunker down through the winter and start piecing it together. But you know, COVID took put us a year behind schedule with what I wanted to do with it. You know, just uh, you know, uh, a lot of the people I'm interviewing are older, and, and you know, COVID just shut shut down most of that. So um, we're about a year behind. But again. 20th Century Fox is not like, we need it now. (laughs) They're not knocking down your door. Yeah, I can take all the time I want because, you know, um, it's not like I'm submitting it to Cannes next year or whatever. So uh, that's, you know, time is luxury, but um, that's all I got is plenty of time. That's exciting. I mean, like it, it really, it it does sound extremely intriguing. Like I think it, I think it will be a, uh, a very interesting, uh, like, like I'm really, I really want to see it all, all put together. Like, do you want it for, for people who didn't, we've talked about it a little bit, but like for people who maybe didn't listen to the last one, like you don't have to give a lot away, but like you want to give just a little summary of like what it's about. Yeah. Well, um, basically when I moved to Minneapolis three years ago, there's a guitar store near my house called, uh, encore music. And, um, when, one day when I was taking a break from unpacking all of our boxes and stuff, I went over there and, you know, it's a guitar store, but I, I like to go into guitar stores and in the guitar store in the back buried under a bunch of stuff was a bass drum and it, and it on the bass drum, I pulled it out and I collect old vintage big bass drums, especially if they have graphic designs on them. And this one said Cliff Hermel, St. Peter, St. Peter's minute, St. Peter, Minnesota, the black Knights. And so I bought it and came home and typed in those three words, Cliff Hermel, the Black Knights, and St. Peter. And it turns out that Cliff Hermel 
um, own the Gibbon Ballroom, which is about an hour and 20 minutes southwest of Minneapolis. And it was a five, it was a ballroom complex. It was a big, huge building that had four or five separate stages. Oh, wow. And every year, every year he would have a polka festival starting in the early 70s where and and i've been researching this um where and it's been a confirmed number one of the years they had like thirty thousand people oh my god come to this polka event all in rvs and they all camped <laughs> and it's just given is this tiny town of like i don't know 600 people or something but Jeez. once once a year for a week the whole thing would be completely overrun by polka people coming to polka and it would be 12 hours a day on four or five different bandstands for a week wow it was called the granddaddy of the mall uh, <laughs> and um so he ran that but then in the, he also ran two youth um drum corps things in his, in the city of saint peter minnesota and uh he was a world war ii vet and so anyway i I was learning all this stuff and one of the pictures that showed up online and people can search this when they type it in, um, was the Gibbon ballroom. There was a picture that was taken in 1975 of the, one of the bars in the Gibbon complex and behind the bar as, as a visual thing, they had three bass drums mounted on the wall behind the bar. One of the bass drums was the bass drum I had just bought. So I thought to myself, Wow, wouldn't it be cool if I could? It's you know seventy five, so it was forty five years ago or whatever. Wouldn't it be cool if I could try to locate the other two bass drums so I could reunite the bass drums? But then the next, you know, when you hit next in the photos online, like I hit next, and the next photo was the same shot, but the person had backed up forty feet or something, and so behind the bar was actually thirteen bass drums hung on the wall. Oh, jeez! And I went. <laughs> Oh man, I don't know if I can find all those. <laughs> so I just it became like a I'm a history freak and I, and like I said I collect big bass drums with designs on them and so I kind of came I started dragging my 10-year-old kid around with me through these tiny towns in min rural Minnesota trying to find out information about these drums cuz I wanted to try to reunite them if I could and it turns out pretty quickly I was able to reunite them all because they were all bought by people um, as remembrances or rem uh, to remember Cliff by when he passed, when his estate uh, had their auction or estate sale. So the documentary basically is my story of trying to locate these bass drums. And once I've located them, you know, reuniting them with my bass drum. And, and in the meantime, it's also telling the story of Cliff and his family in rural Minnesota and Polka and, you know, all these other stories that are tied all tied into it. But it all started with me just buying a bass drum in a guitar store. Um, and that was the beginning of beginning of it. And when I was having production meetings with with one, one of the producer ladies, you know, she said later, she said, you know, the first thing you ever said to me about this project. And I said, no. And she said, the very first thing you said to me was. I never set out to make a documentary. I just I just bought a bass drum. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that's the first thing you said. And I go, well, that's, yeah, I mean, that's what this story is. So that's what the story has become. And I still, like I said, I still have a couple of interviews. Um, I mean, Cliff died in 1999. So, um, you know, and actually his brother uh, just died a couple of weeks ago. Um, uh, so, 
I've become friends with these people and the, some of the people that played with him and some of the people that um, played in his ballroom. And, uh, you know, it's, it's just, it's been an amazing story. Um, it's like an onion, you know, unpeeling an onion. There's, there's a lot of different things going on, but the, the, I, I, the challenge is going to be, how do we put it into a coherent story? But I, but I think it will probably be the story of buying a bass drum and just trying to, trying to move on from and tell the story of all these things all at the same time. So again, never made a documentary before, <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> but, I'm just but here we are. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I'm not letting it stop me. So I'm moving forward on it. I mean, I, I love it. Like, I really like that whole, like, you don't, you don't have to know anything about polka. You don't need to be a polka fan. Like that whole story just sounds intriguing. Like everything about it sounds very interesting and uh, kind of learning the history of someone who, like you mentioned earlier, it's like was was prominent in this little it, within this little sliver. Like maybe maybe people from outside outside of that town in Minnesota don't know him, but I mean, you know, my God, like you said, if one year they had like thirty thousand people there, like he was definitely beloved by by some people there. You know, so yeah, that, that oh, is yeah. very cool. Yeah, it's and it's. I mean, within polka circles, you know, people came from all over the United States and even the world to come to this polka event. That's so, so cool. You know, people within the polka community knew him. But, you know, the other thing in, that's in the story is that those people in that polka community are, are older now and they're passing. So it's like um, and there is, you know, there is a, a younger polka thing happening, but it's never going to be to the popularity that. Yeah, that it once was like probably like a thirty thousand. Yeah, and that wasn't every year, but that was like the biggest year. And um, but you know, it's a historical context too because you're talking in the nineteen seventies, sort of the heyday of early sixties or mid to late sixties into the seventies. Those were the heyday of polka. But you know, one of the reasons you have to look at historically is that these were all men coming home from World War II in the fifties and had survived and wanted to have families and wanted to have a good time. And they're all hardworking farmers or whatever. And on the Friday or the Saturday night, they will, you know, want to go to the ballroom and drink some beer and talk to their friends and families and stuff. And so, um, you know, there's a historical context within a lot of this stuff too. Um, and, and a lot of those, those people are, are passing now because, you know, that's the, the last of the greatest generation. So, you know, it's, it's a little bit of a rush trying to tell the story, but, um, you know, I've, I've been able to talk to people and interview people and, uh, yeah, I mean, it's, it's been a, well, it's been another learning process, you know, learning and we haven't even gotten into editing it and piecing it all together. I just, I've been just any chance I've gotten, I've been taking my camera out into these rural towns and interviewing as many people and talking to as many people that knew him and, or any of the, things about the ballrooms or you know all of that stuff um as i could and because again i would rather have too much than too little you know i just shoot everything and then you know we'll decide what stays as it goes but oh for sure i i think that that i feel like that always is the case including like a documentary where like you film like hours and you know you can film like a hundred hours worth of footage to condense it down to like a 90 minute you know feature yeah you know, it's, it's, it's always better to have way too much because you can always cut it down than to have way too little. No, that, that, that is very true. But I, I really I'm excited 
I'm uh, excited to see where you go with that. So you, so you'll plan on then doing all like you're going to have your hand in everything when it does come to editing and all that too, right? You, you're going to you're going to do part of that and all that too. Well, I'm going to do what we call the Eklund handoff. I'll probably find, I'll probably, <laughs> you know, same thing with someone mixing my record. Like, um, I, obviously I need to find like a real editor, but yeah, of course I'll be involved in all of it. But, but I, I don't, I don't know the mechanics. I mean, I can re- do some real basic, it's like me and protest. I can do some real basic editing, you know, in a film editing program, but I'm going to get somebody that really knows, knows what they're doing um, to do that. And um, yeah, I mean, my dream is that when, when the, when the film is done and we debut it uh, and I've talked to everybody that I found that has the bass drums, but they've all given their permission to have the bass drums like in the lobby for the premiere. Oh, nice. So so the lobby would be filled with all the drums from the movies. And um, so, yeah. And, and I have a lot of, grand ideas and you know when when we get closer to the end of that project and i've never made a film so i don't know what the end of the project looks like but um we'll we'll get there eventually it'll probably take way longer than we expected but we'll we'll get there and and i'm when it's done that's i'm i'll be really proud of it that's awesome and uh another one i want to ask because another thing we were talking about last time we were on here a uh, new ulaz record has there been uh, any more progress on that Oh, that was another, yeah, that was another Ula, <laughs> or another COVID casualty. Ollie came out. COVID got weekend. you for a lot of things. You were a busy man when I talked to you, and then it all just kind of like brick walled you. It all went away, <laughs> yeah. Because um, Ollie and I, we, we've gotten a pretty good start on some new songs, and then she, she flew home to L.A. And um, actually, I remember she was kind of concerned whether she would be able to get into L.A. because they were talking about how the city was literally going to shut down. Oh yeah, those like, early days. Yeah, early days like air traffic and stuff and but um so she and I are still talking and and you know, we we sort of thought about well, we could do it, you know, long distance and stuff, but the way we work is better if we're just in the room together. So that's, you know, that's on hold. But hopefully we'll we'll get get around to that at some point, you know. I feel like that's for the better if you like if you're like no I think this will be better if we're in the same room like it, it's probably just better to wait because it's like you, you know the the album might suffer from I, I feel like a lot of you know some bands can do that but there's been a lot of bands where they're like yeah we did this in like three separate studios and you're like yeah it sounds like it like it sounds like you all wrote separately so yeah. I I would rather I don't know as, as a fan I'd rather really solid record and wait than a rushed record that, you know, was made like just throwing ideas back and forth. Yeah, totally. And I think it's not even for me, it's not even a sonic thing. It's just that she and I have such fun together. She's like my little sister and, you know, we've been involved with each other from in the last for a long time. So it's, it's probably more selfish or just sort of having, having fun and, and, you know, doing all that. And, and again, there's no record label saying we need a record. (laughs) (laughs) So we can again, again, take as long as we want. And she actually, she just put out a record. um, When she joined the Ula, she didn't know how to plug in a guitar either. And and maybe she had written songs at home. I don't know, but um, we both learned together. And, and the, the the great thing uh, about her um, record is that she recorded it herself. I think she mixed it herself. Like, Oh, wow. 
like she did everything and so i'm really proud of her and and it's great and her videos and stuff are amazing um and she does the video work too like she's i she's amazing i mean she can sing she can write songs um with everything she you know it used to be the ulas were sort of the big thing for us but with her with her doing video work and all this other stuff and her own solo career stuff you know the, the ulas are a fun little side project you know for <laughs> that's and, cool though it sounds like she did like you did or it's like you just kind of jump in and do these things you, you learn she she exactly said the same thing she's like i ain't got no money to pay anybody to do it and so i'm just going to teach myself and we live in the youtube age where you can watch hundreds of youtube videos and learn how to do anything oh totally so um i think she just learned how to how to mix your record <laughs> like <laughs> she did it so uh yeah i I'm embarrassed that my brain is farting right now. <laughs> I mean, again, people, people will just, just Google search the name. I'm sure you'll, uh, I'm sure you'll find the album. She is great. Yeah. She is great in the Ulaz too. And I, I, I'd heard a few songs before, like I was aware of the Ulaz, but started listening a lot more after our last interview and, uh, yeah, really solid stuff in there. And I mean, you as well, she, she has a great voice too in there. I think it works, uh, really well with like the whole sound of the band. I think her voice like works perfectly for that music. Yep. It, yeah. And that was, that was out of left field. And, you know, um, when we just started writing songs, uh, you know, I think she and my brother were dating, I think when we first met. So she, he was like, yeah, my girlfriend writes songs. And, and, uh, you know, who knew that it was going to work out and, and she, she may have just turned 21. So, she was pretty young, but I love her voice and I love her song. She's got a really weird way of writing where none of her words rhyme and yet it fits and where all works, you know? So I'm always, I, at least in the realize I'd always be like, that's not how you do it. But whatever she came up with was way better than how you were supposed to do it. So, you know, it was like, <laughs> I'm not going to mess with that. That's if me. it sounds good, if it sounds good, then who cares if it doesn't make, you know, if it's like the unconventional way or whatever. Right. Exactly. You know, but, uh, that, and that's how I move forward. That's, that's how we do it. Yo, <laughs> it's not, it's not bad. I mean, I look at you and really like, I, I think if, if there's anything to take away is really is like, just, do it like just do it and see what happens you learn things you end up getting something out of it you know it, it's not it's it's not like a nightmarish it might be scary in the beginning but that's just how it is i mean the, sometimes the scarier the better it means you should do it because then once you overcome it you you know you like you get something out of it you know you exactly. seem you seem like someone who's still like even now it's like you're still learning stuff you're you're still into that you're not like well because some people are like oh i learned it one way and then you're like mad when things change or it's not that way anymore. It's like, no, like you, you just, that's what you do. You know, that, that's just how it works. Does it suck sometimes? Yeah, sure. It'd be great if it all worked one, one way, but it doesn't, you know, and you just got to yeah. kind of jump in and, and just do things. So I think that's, that's what I learned and, and stuff talking with you, which I always like, I, I think, I think more people need to have that. Because a lot of yep. people don't. They're just like, no, nah, no, nah, it, it might. It, it, they just think of it if it fails, you know. Yeah. But, well, uh, I, I would recommend people do that. Don't wait until you're 50 like I did. Just uh, start early. Just start early and, and jump in and do do whatever you want to do. You know, going going back to Muffled Tears, um, you know, it, it is a very, I mean, it is a personal record. It is, I mean, it's obviously about your life and everything like we talked about that. 
But do you could you ever see yourself making another album like this, or is this something you do it the one time you got off your chest and you're good? Like, could you ever see yourself writing in this kind of way and this concept ever again? Um, yes, because I've already started. (laughs) (laughs) That answers that. (laughs) That answers that. I don't, I mean, you know, again, I don't want to be just making story albums or concept albums or whatever these things are. Um, But again, after this was finished a couple of years ago, the songs I were I was started to write again were songs based around my childhood growing up in England. So I was like, "Oh no, <laughs> here's another record." <laughs> I thought I just did this. I thought I just did this. So I haven't. I, I and I, I've taken a break from it for a while, um, just so I can you know finish up this and other things. But um, I don't know if it'll come out that way, but. I, I probably have five or six rec- songs, um, yeah, that, that sort of do the same thing about growing up in England. Oh, nice. So, yeah, we'll we'll see how that how that all ends up. But uh, you know, I don't know. I can't control it. What comes out, so um, <laughs> you know, that, that makes would, sense. It, it would be interesting if I could write a song, a record of just independent songs. Maybe I'll do that someday. But um, <laughs> but I don't know. If if not, that's that's just what I do. And so I don't know. I, I again, I'm not going to put pressure on myself to, to put out it, to do that. It's just going to, whatever happens, happens. I think that's awesome. Cause I really wasn't sure. Like, I mean, I mean, like I said, it was, it is kind of a therapeutic thing and it's something to do, but I was like, you know, is it something you only do once, but no, you, you do it again, which I thought it worked in muffled tears. So I'm excited to uh, see how it happens the next time, which I got to say, I mean, five songs, Hell, that's almost half an album. So I feel I feel like you're you're fairly deep in there. Yeah, exactly. And again, I was like, well, maybe it only needs to be five songs. Maybe it's an EP. EP or whatever that means now. I, you know, does EP even matter? Does you know what I mean? Like, yeah. Oh no, that's like we were talking about singles. I mean, hell, you could really you could release a song yeah. every month. I mean, you could right. do things like that even. Yeah. So I I don't know. Well, you know, I've taken a, I've taken a almost a year away from them. So I got to kind of come back and see where they're at and see if I have inspiration to write more that would make it a complete album, or maybe it's just four related songs on a bigger album of, of other songs that aren't related. I don't know. We'll e- see. We'll see where it all falls. Either way, you're staying creative. Like it, it seems like you're staying pretty busy on uh, all fronts, you know, like you may not be touring, but like, you're doing a lot at home. You're 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 keeping very busy. Yep. You know. Yep. Well, that's the way to go. Yeah. You know, I I, I wish I could have done more during the COVID year off here, but, um, you know, uh, when it first happened, I didn't. I thought it was kind of going to be like a month or two. You know. Oh yeah, I think so, everyone just, did. Yeah, if I knew it was going to be as long as it would have, I would have signed up for college courses, or I would have, <laughs> you know, spent more time recording, or so, you know, something. But it just um. It just kind of kept like going and going. Yeah, exactly. And and I haven't, you know, I haven't played a show in well, geez, almost almost two years. So, oh wow. Uh, yeah, and that's not Storm hasn't got anything on the books at the moment. So, um, you know, it just gave me time to try other things, move on to other things, and and focus on other things. And 
it's a little weird after touring for 30 years of my life it's it was a little weird not you know to be at home oh, i'd just, imagine after all that just, time yeah and just sort of look at my kids and go who are you wait what <laughs> <laughs> uh, um but at the same time it's been great being home so it's but after 30 years of constantly being moving and and touring it was weird to sort of park it at home so can, can you see it when when like touring full time does kind of come back? You see it being weird going back on the road. You know, uh, I flew back to visit my folks. You know, once everybody was vaccinated and stuff, because you know when COVID happened, it was sort of like you weren't sure if you were ever going to see the people you loved again because you weren't allowed to be there. You know, if they were passing or whatever. Oh yeah. So when my folks on the others, once everybody got vaccinated, I flew out with my son to visit with them. And, you know, fully masked and, and plane was completely full. And it was weird. It, the thing that was sort of weird to me was that not that it was I was flying during COVID. It was just looking around going, I used to do this every day. <laughs> this sucks. <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> just crowded planes and baggage and uh, like and and um, that's that was the part that got me was like, wow, I, it's crazy to think about going back to doing all that again. Like, uh, yeah. Yeah. When that you're, when you're removed from it. Cause like, I feel like a normal person, like, Hey, well, yeah, it doesn't travel like that. They go, wow, that's insane. Whereas if you're doing, if that's just the norm for you for 30 years, like it's not until you probably take that step back and go, Oh wow. Like that is wild. Like people don't really do that. People don't, you know what I mean? Like people don't really yeah. travel like that for their job. Really? No, it's it. It reminded me as I sat there having not done it for a year and a half. It reminded me like airport touring, uh, at least touring with Storm because we're not driving or in a bus or whatever. You know, we're flying everywhere. That's the commute. You just got to get up early and get to the airport and you just do it and it sucks. And then you get to the gig and it's all good. And then next day, you know, 430 lobby calls, you can get to the airport and do it. And it becomes, you become sort of numb to it in a way where it's just like, it's just what you do. And you can function with no sleep and doing all that stuff. But having had a year off, it's to go back to it seemed really abnormal. <laughs> it, was like, it was like, what? This, what? This is crazy. Like, all these people sitting in this tube that's going to take off into the air and fly from like this. It's, this is insane. This is crazy, you know? So I, it was it was a different it was a different approach for me because I haven't, I've been lucky enough to where, you know, I haven't had to deal with, with not doing that for, since 1994 or whatever, whenever I joined Everclear. So now, like you said, you do a lot of like uh, flying and stuff out now. Um, do you miss it all? Like, like van, like van or tour bus tours, like anything where you're like on the road or do you just, was that too grueling after a while? Just, constantly being like driving hours and hours i think i can't imagine doing it now because it just seems so exhausting <laughs> but um uh and with everclear it was all a blur but it when i was with the ulas it was fun it was fun to get we bought a van and and also like i said uh ollie was had never really been in a band or hadn't really toured before. And so it was fun sort of seeing it all through her eyes, but it was fun for me just getting back to that 
that thing after you know people are like what's it like being in the van after tour buses and semi trucks and all that stuff and i had the time of my life when the ulas toured um it was it was i've i've had a lot of fun fun moments in my life but that was that was a lot of fun you know and just showing up and playing playing bars and getting paid out of 60 bucks at the end of the night and um you know being excited that the that they gave us salad with our pizza you know like <laughs> that was like whoa this is a luxury um and that we got bottled waters backstage or something you know it was it was fun to go back and, and do it all again but on my own terms not yeah. with not with everclear you know and uh so but to do it now to jump back in the van and drive all over the country and do it all that stuff i don't I gotta say, it doesn't really appeal to me. <laughs> it doesn't appeal to me. I can't blame you. I feel like, and and like that sounds fun to me. I love driving all around, but I get you do it for thirty years and you're doing it for that long. It's like I can imagine after a while, it's like because it really is. Because even like you just talking about, it, it's like you start thinking about it. I mean, what's a show? Ninety minutes, two hours. Yet you're flying all these places. You're dry, like there's so much else that you're doing just to get to that place to play on the stage for however long you're playing. You know that people kind of forget about too. Yep, it's all it's all it's all part of it. You know, it's yeah, and it and it. I mean, with Everclear, it's, it was different. You know, we had road manager, tour manager, and people that took care of all that stuff, but. Um, because they took care of all that stuff, that meant that they could cram more stuff into the schedule. So it meant that you were just you're traveling more and more and more. And, you know, that was fun times. That was exciting, you know, when you're 24, 25, 26, 27. Um, but to to think of doing that now, <laughs> no. <laughs> I, I <just laughs> no, thank you. <laughs> no, no, no. Well, if someone wants to give me $150,000 to go out and promote this record, I, I would go do it. But, uh, <laughs> But well, maybe I wouldn't. Maybe I'd just take the hundred and fifty grand. But uh, the no, I I, mean, I I just you know whatever. People are like the Rolling Stones still tour, and I'm like, yeah, that's because they all have private planes and they don't see each other until they're on. Stage. Oh yeah, that's a whole different way of touring. Yeah, if you're the Rolling Stones, right. normal bands right. don't tour that way. <laughs> right. So that's real easy to yeah. Hell, I would tour with the. I would do that. I, <laughs> Jeez, I would do that with Everclear if we got paid for the same amount yeah. of money and I didn't have to talk to anybody and I could just be, you know, on my private plane or bus or whatever. Like, who wouldn't? Yeah, in that situation, like, yeah, you would, like, anyone would. Exactly, <laughs> exactly. So, <laughs> I don't know. I, I'm, I've been extremely blessed having the opportunities that I've had and the experiences I've had. And so it's tough to find fault with any of it because it's been an amazing journey. And uh, But just being at this point in my life, the idea of jumping into a van and, and logging, you know, 60,000 driving miles. No, <laughs> You'll I'd, rather, I'd, I'd rather go fishing across the river in Wisconsin and, and do that instead. I, I don't blame you do that. And there's enough good uh, venues in, in the twin cities. People can come uh, and be one of those things. If people want to see you, then come to you. There's venues exactly. in, there's venues in Minneapolis. You'll be there. Yeah. I'm around. <laughs> I'm around. <laughs> well, Greg, I mean, th this is this is a blast. It, it's always fun having you on here. As we uh, as we close this one up, I mean, the the main thing here, you know, where people can go grab muffled tears, where people can find you, 
all all that good stuff now. You know, like now, like now that people have heard it all, they want to go find you. They want to hear the music. What do they go do? Oh, uh, wow. This is the part I'm really proud <laughs> of. Well, obviously, it's a, they can find it on all the digital stuff, iTunes and Spotify and all of that stuff. But if they want the vinyl, they've got to come to my Bandcamp page. So that's Band... What is that? Greg Eklund? I think it's uh, Bandcamp.com slash Greg Eklund, probably. I think that's normally how they're set up. Oh, good. Thank you for that, because... <laughs> Yeah, I told you I'm terrible at it. But Though also sure. on Bandcamp, the nice thing, too, people just go search Greg Eklund, you'll come up, which I'm also going to say, I stress you go grab it there because I think that's where you get paid the most. They compensate yes. artists the best of all places. Bandcamp is the yes. most artist-friendly place. For sure. And I, you can buy it digitally there, I think, too. But um, Yeah, you can. That's, that's where I'm just running the vinyl. And thanks for knowing that address because I am <laughs> not very good at it. And then... Uh, I think there's a YouTube page if you, they want to see the videos and stuff. Um, but I think that's, he's just the drummer. Yes. I think, I think that, and maybe your Twitter, I know, I know some places if you search, he's just, just the drummer. You're uh you're on there. I think on Twitter and Instagrams, he's just the drummer. Yeah. That's, that's probably the best. I, I'm sort of using that as my all thing production stuff. Like, uh, he's just the drummer records and, and all of that stuff. So that's a good, good place to type in and find me because you know, I'm around. <laughs> You'll pop up. Yeah. You're I'm around. around. <laughs> <laughs> I'm around. <laughs> you're a busy man. You don't need to be on You're you're doing things. You don't need to be on social media. You're, you're doing like five different things. You stay quite busy. I know, but my wife is like, you gotta, you gotta be on social media more, which is, you know, I mean, she might be kind of right, but still, I say well, you're busy. I'm not a. I don't like to look at social media either, so it's just weird for me this concept of trying to like constantly self promote. But um, yeah, I'm doing it. And uh, if you're going to dial, if you're going to buy the record, I'll be down in my basement taping it up and sending it out. So it's it's not coming from someone else; it's coming from downstairs. <laughs> Locally sourced vinyl. That's right. Yeah, you, you even um, have those nice hand stamps. You do a very cool. Uh, at least my record when it came, he's just the drummer. The uh, the snare drum stamp on the on the front of the package, which I got a yeah. kick out of. Yeah, thank you very much. I I just figured I'd zip it up a little bit, you know. Class it, it up. All, yeah, trying to. <laughs> <laughs> no, I like it. I mean, it's it's not too hard to find you. You're you're at the normal places, and uh, muffled tears is all around. The Ulas Everclear. You can. I, you can find everything you've been involved in just about anywhere. You'll you'll find all that good stuff. Yep. Hey, uh, let me quickly shout out the, Ollie's thing is Ollie Problemas. That's her. her oh, okay. Her, her not her record, but that's her. Um, if people want to look her up, which I highly suggest, I think she's amazing. I, I've been so lucky that I get to work with that. I've gotten to work with people like her and people like Storm. And there was a woman that I played with in L.A. called uh, Julie Kane that I can give a huge shout out. Um, I've al- I've always been really lucky to work with extremely talented women. So I want to be able to give shout outs to people when I can and when I can remember. <laughs> <laughs> we can always in the in the show notes, man, I'll throw a link and stuff to your record. I'll I'll look up uh, Ollie's new record, too. We can throw we can throw a link in like the show notes. So people can oh, go. Thank you. They they won't thank even you. they won't have to go Google all this shit. It'll just be right there. They can click the button and he'll go there. 
Oh, you're so smart, dude. You're so social media. That's amazing. That would be so helpful. Thank you. That's what I'm here, dude. You're you're busy doing. You're busy making the stuff. <laughs> I'm trying. I'm trying. No, you have a lot of it's it's great to hear this stuff. I mean, it was awesome last time. I mean, the first time we had you on, I mean, the, the at first we were talking about uh Sparkle and Fade for its 25th anniversary, and then it turned out you had like all these pro I mean, I knew you were working on stuff, but like did not know how much stuff you were working on at once. So it's always good to hear when you're that busy, you know? That's not yeah. a bad thing. You you stay busy, you stay busy making cool things. I, I enjoy the output. I, well, thank you very much. I, I'm trying. trying. <laughs> and you're around. And I'm, ar- hey, I'm around. <laughs> you know, if anybody needs me, I'm around. <laughs> well, the, the, this has been a blast. We're we're going to play a bunch of songs off Muffled Tears, which uh, I, I cannot recommend enough. But we, like I said, we'll play a bunch for you. We're going to start. I, I don't know. This might be one of my favorite songs on the album. I am also a sucker for a good bass line. And uh, I think you got a good baseline in this one. So uh, we'll kick it off with Shine On off uh, Greg Eklund's Muffled Tears right here on the Power Chord Hour. You just say that you are everything that I just want to know. And you just want to find out if everything everybody says is true. Just want to follow 
Hey, this is Roger from Less Than Jake, and you're listening to the Power Chord Hour. Nice. And when the beat is dropped, the tigers chase and tails with G while they're swinging in the night air. I whisper, stop, stop. on the power cord hour off greg eklund's muffled tears that was chain wallets before that was she came before that was liberation and opening up that block of music was shine on i want to thank greg again for returning to the show had so much fun with him i mean i i really like that i've been waiting for that since the last episode because you know we're like oh yeah you'll definitely come back on when you release that and here we are like a year and a half later and uh, very, very rad. So, uh, again, want to thank him. And definitely go check out his uh, his new record. I mean, you just heard four songs off of it. I absolutely love it. He has he really has this really... His voice is perfect for, like, that, like, indie rock, kind of, like, alt-rock that he does. Like, same with the Ulas. Like, if you like that and you've never checked out the Ulas, go back and uh, check out Best Stop Pop, their, uh, their only record that's out for now. But, like we were talking about, we'll get a... Uh, new Ula's record eventually, but uh, if you go listen to that first one, I think you'll hear what I'm talking about. Like, he's very good at it there, too, and just musically, like, you know, writing the songs, but also his voice, I think, works very well with the music that he writes. So, uh, very cool. Very happy to hear that come out, too. He sent me, it was like last year, he sent me uh, an unmastered, some uh, MP3s from the record, and uh, like it, like it was all sequenced and everything. Like it's the record you hear now is just unmastered, but uh, I absolutely loved it then. I was like, oh, dude, you definitely like this. This needs to be out in the world. Like definitely, you know. Like I hope you, I hope you're listening to everyone who's telling you. Like definitely release this, and uh, I'm happy that he did because it is uh, it is a really good record. So go support him. 
Go grab it uh, wherever you grab music. But again, Bandcamp is the uh, is like the most artist friendly. So I always say if you're gonna go somewhere, um, I would go Bandcamp first if it's there, and uh, it is there as well as the vinyl. And uh, I can tell you, I can attest because I bought the vinyl, and the vinyl looks really good. So. If you uh, want that on record, you can go grab that as well on his Bandcamp, and uh, yeah, I'm sure he'll be back. I mean, he stays so busy, like, and, and like he really does. Like on this one, you know, I mean, obviously, again, former Everclear drummer was their drummer through you know the huge years and everything, and you know we touched on it a little bit, uh, Everclear, but it's like he stays busy doing stuff. It's like you know, it's not, it's not really. You know, initially we had him on talk about Sparkle and Fade the first time, but it's like I love that he does. You know, he has stayed active. He is he is not like oh, you know, I used to do music and stuff. I was like oh no, like he continued long after Everclear has continued to have a really fruitful and like diverse music career too. That's what I like is like he really no band that he that he's been in is like no no two are the same. You know what I mean? Like everything he does is is kind of different from one one and uh you know one and the other. But uh, yeah, really cool. I love talking to him, and uh, I'm sure he will be back either for that. And, and again, like take your pick. Be back for the Ulaz record whenever that comes out. For uh, maybe his next solo record, he was talking about. Maybe when that comes out, when the documentary comes out. I mean, there's there's uh, tons of reasons to have him on. So uh, I'm sure he'll be back. He is he's truly a fun guest. When I say that, I uh, I truly mean he's like one of the easiest people to talk to. Could uh, could talk to him for hours, which I guess I have because I think collectively both episodes we've done. I mean, I I think that has to be close to uh, at least four four and a half hours if you listen to both of them, and that means he is a pleasure to talk to. If he if he wasn't, he wouldn't be back, and uh, we would not talk as long as we have. So yeah, thank you so much for checking it out. Hope you enjoyed. We have tons more guests this month. I mean, I'm very happy we got to kick off the month with Greg, and uh, he was my first interview back since uh, since coming back from my little three-week vacation. But uh, yeah, really, really excited for what we got planned for the rest of the month and really the rest of the year. We have a lot of cool stuff planned, I would say, the, uh, the rest of the year, a lot of stuff to tune into. But uh, I am going to keep next week's guest a surprise for now. But uh, I will tell you, is, I, you may be a fan if you were a uh, you know if you're a fan of uh, this week's guest and uh, his music. I, I think you may be a fan of next week's as well, and uh, and actually another drummer. And uh, very excited for it, and uh, you'll have to tune back in and uh, see who it is. Though maybe also you can probably check on our social media. I'll probably tease it before then. But uh, yeah, and uh, speaking of our social media, if you want to follow us on there, we're at Power Chord Hour on uh, Twitter, on Facebook, and on Instagram. If you'd follow us all on uh, all those places or wherever you are. And uh, we're also on Spotify in two ways. We're on Spotify, which we put up playlists every week from the radio show. So you can go find us on there. And you can also find the podcast on Spotify if you're not listening there already. And, uh, oh, where else are we? What else check out? The radio show, the Power Chord Hour radio show. Been doing it five years strong now uh, every week on WRFA 107.9 FM in Jamestown, New York. And uh, that airs every Friday night, 10 to midnight Eastern. And if you don't live in Jamestown, that is okay. We are but a city of like 30,000. So I'd assume a lot of you don't live in Jamestown. I'd assume most of you don't live in Jamestown. So uh, if you want to listen, don't fear. Just go, uh, you can go to WRFALP.com. And uh, if you, you can either go there and click streaming, or if you want to make it even easier, 
throw in wrfalp.com slash streaming, and it will take you right to the thing. You can stream the station, listen to all the other rad uh, shows, and uh, or listen to mine. And, uh, yeah, play a lot of music, play lots of uh, Greg's music, Everclear, the Ulaz, now his solo stuff, and uh, all that good, good stuff. You can find uh, some good music on there every Friday night. And, uh, yeah, I guess that would be it. Rate and review us if you would on uh, Apple Podcasts or anywhere else you uh, can rate and review podcasts. I have no clue because I'm very bad at paying attention to that stuff. But uh, if you know of a place to leave us reviews, leave us reviews there. And uh, hopefully they're glowing. But, hey, I can't tell you what to write. So, uh, yeah, again, hopefully they're glowing. But I can't tell you what to do. And uh, yeah, so that's going to be the show. Thank you so much again. Thank you so much to Greg. Tune back in. We got another one next week. Oh, and if you would like Power Chord Hour stickers, uh, powercordhour at gmail.com. Got some uh, new ones recently. Now we have two different designs. I'll send you a couple of each for uh, absolutely free. I must say, I, I had a lot of fun. I was hanging out with uh, with someone who's been on the show a ton, Zach Gorsheski, my buddy who uh, I went and hung out with on my trip and uh, stopped and hung out with him for a few days in Springfield, Illinois. We uh, <laughs> we went down to St. Louis. We uh, definitely went around the city sticking Power Chord Hour stickers on things. And uh, I got I to gotta shout out Zach or, or reprimand him because he was a bad influence because he definitely uh, was an influence to do that, and, and I'm blaming him. But uh, yeah, you can go do the same thing. Doesn't have to be go go wherever you live. Just go paint the town with Power Chord Hour stickers. It would be a beautiful, beautiful thing. And think of what a great service you're doing to your community by passing on this podcast. I mean, think of it. Think of the senior citizens that that's hearts will glow. The the children that will smile and learn about good music and not grow up with uh you know shitty tastes like. Just think of all the good you can do for your community if you uh, stick these Power Chord Hour stickers all over things. So hit me up, PowerCordHour at gmail.com. I'll send you some stickers. You can also just hit me up there for anything. If you ever want to be like, hey, good podcast, bad podcast, you should you should talk to this person. Hey, I want to request a song for your radio show. Any of that stuff, that's where you can find me, PowerCordHour at gmail.com, as well as all our uh, social media. I run all that, so if you're talking to someone on there, you're talking to me. But uh, yeah, that is going to be it until next week. So for the Power Court Hour, I'm Anthony Merchant. Thanks for listening.